Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm your host Pete Wall in the hot seat this week or I should say the driving seat because your regular lead driver Paul Anderson is away on production duties with the short film that he's been working on recently and so with Paul away I thought you know how is the show going to come together? How can this show go on? Well step in my saviour in more ways than one my actual real-life wife. Francesca Wall is on the show for the first time ever. No, second time <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, I did on the Valentine's episode, weren't we? Yeah, how, how was that? I mean, to my memory, that was a good time, but I don't know, because I get giddy about these things at the best of times. How did you feel on that one? I think it was okay, mainly because I think I'd had a drink or two. Yeah, we haven't done that. We're going into this one completely sober, sipping water and nothing stronger. So we'll see how it comes out. But I think we'll have a we'll have a hell of a time. We quite like each other. I think we'll get along quite well yeah, on this you're thing. All right. um, so yeah, if I if I get a bit giddy or a bit swoony at any point, it's just a result of being sat next to my wife. No disrespect meant uh, to Paul Anderson, of course, who uh, you know himself is a is a lovely gentleman. But uh, you know this show, I think, by now and the order that we have on it, which always begins with a section called In the Foyer. The In the Foyer section this week is going to be dealing with a couple of things from the world of film and, and film news. Um, Fran, I've briefed you on this so you know what's up. But I've been briefed along all the parts. Yes, <laughs> we've gone through sort of a blow-by-blow blow, uh, like spreadsheet-type level of uh, planning for this episode, so we'll see if that comes out in the wash or not. Um, yeah, first off though, this week I noticed that The Guardian have published a list, and that list is the top 100 films, according to The Guardian, of the entirety of the 21st century, sort of year 2001 onwards. So what we thought we'd do is have a look at that list, and between the two of us, see if we can decide whether they got it right, wrong, why what we like, what we agree with and disagree with, and you get the idea. First of all, the top 10 itself, according to The Guardian in the UK, we've got at number 10, Team America World Police, uh, Nine Zama, which is a film, have you seen that, friend? No. I don't think that's that's a film I've caught with, and maybe Paul hasn't either, so we'll have to get round to it. Then at eight, we've got Moonlight, of course, reviewed on the show, excellent, from just a few years ago. Seven, Synecdoche, New York, uh, the Charlie Kaufman film, which was so so brilliant back in 2008. We've got um, Hidden or Caché, the French thriller from Michael Haneke. We've got um, In the Mood for Love. We've got at number four, Under the Skin. Number three, Boyhood. Number two, 12 Years a Slave, and number one, There Will Be Blood. So save for a couple there, I think those are mostly movies that we've covered on the Strangers in the Cinema podcast. First up, um, Fran, of that top 10, is there anything that stands out that you think either you've seen and, you know, shouldn't be there, or you've seen and is well worthy of a spot on the top 10? Well, I haven't seen all of the films that are in the top 10. I've only seen a few. The ones I have seen... I think they are worthy of being in the top 10. The only one which I think is a bit strange is Team America World Police because it's a good film, but I don't see how it's made it to the top 10 with there are other far better films further down in the list. Yeah, called by The Guardian the most audacious slaughter of sacred cows seen on celluloid, which is a nice sounding sentence, but uh, yeah, I kind of tend to agree. I think it's, it's funny, it's smart, it's well put together. Is it the 10th best film of the 21st century? Maybe they got to be a carried away. Or they wanted to have like a diversity in the top 10 that included slapstick and comedy and satire and that kind of thing. Um, 
expanding outside the top 10, I suppose, I think there are a couple of um, outliers in terms of things that we've picked out that maybe are a bit overrated or perhaps a bit underrated in the list. In the vein of Team America, didn't you find another comedy that was like quite high? Ted. Yeah, where did Ted get in the 100? Like 40, 60, something like that? Um, let me just it was check. about halfway down the list, I think, that movie. This is a this is an excellent pause that we've Sorry. got here as we, as we scan the top 100. It's 60, it's 60, all right, okay. 60. So the 60th best film of the 21st century, apparently, is Mark Wahlberg talking to a teddy bear. Again, yeah, no, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's funny, but it comes above other films which are also funny and better. Like Anchorman came at 70, and I think that's funnier in my opinion it's better of the two it's probably got more memorable lines as well like I don't know how many lines you can quote from Ted but there's probably a whole bunch from Anchorman not that either of them necessarily have to be there but yeah you're right if you're going to pick one I think that one's better the one that you think is better made you laugh more than you remember more is probably going to be going to be the one I mean yeah things in the sort of middle order of this thing like um, a separation of 45 years respectively number 36 and number 35 really really good could even be higher I think gravity at 32 of course as we've established on the show about depression and loss less so about space uh, only made it to 32 I think it's a little bit low down the list in my personal humble opinion um oh a movie dear to our hearts there, Fran. Nebraska, 29. Should it be higher? Should it be lower? What do you think? I mean, it should be higher. Yeah. It, I mean, it essentially uh, brought us back together as a couple and led to our current state of being being married, our permanent state of being married. <laughs> and, it, and it made only 29 on the list. So, yeah, that's an oversight. Um, and then, yeah, I guess back in the top 10. Well, I was going to mention also that Mulholland Drive was beaten out of the top 10 by Team America World Police, which is an absolute travesty. And also Inland Empire should probably be top 10 too, if I were to make this list, which I obviously haven't. Yeah, I'm not worried about Mulholland Drive not being in there, because as you know, I don't really understand or like it that much. Yeah, Mulholland Drive, <laughs> to my great uh, frustration, falls into a category along with something like Locke, as films I've showed you really excitedly, and you've been like, this is just yeah. shit, and, shit and boring, and I don't care. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Sonexky, New York, I'm glad that's as high as it, as it is. Um, the Hanukkah film as well. In the Mood for Love's exceptionally good. Under the Skin 2, Boyhood 2, I can't argue. 12 is a Slave, you would imagine, would get high in a list like this. And then There Will Be Blood, um, maybe I like it a little bit less than some people. I don't think it's P.C. Anderson's best film necessarily, but it's really, really good, so I can't argue too much. Fran, is there anything like you would just insert in the list if you had the choice that you think doesn't really get a mention or a shout out or is in your personal like top 10 or 100 or whatever it's hard for me to think because when it's just films from the 21st century i think i get a bit stumped because i like a lot of films better from the last century yeah true i'm much more into like old films i think and i hold them up higher than i do maybe more modern day films yeah, I remember us watching All About Eve and just like gushing about it for ages, but obviously movies like that can't get onto this list, so no. it, it doesn't figure. And I know when we talked about this beforehand, you were saying like, this is the issue. Is like you think of something you really love and then you're like, oh yeah, it doesn't qualify for a 21st century list. Oh, I don't know if it's on the list, but I guess one of the films, like, I really like this film, you really like this film. I don't know if it counts for it. 
a ghost story? A ghost story, yeah. Whether it's on the hundred, I scanned through and didn't I see think it there. It is on there. Uh, it should be right. Yeah, that's definitely. I love that film. It's, it's really good. I mean, you know, what higher accolade than the fact that it's still my background picture on Facebook, which I almost never use. I mean, that really is. I know. Incredible. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And like one of those, if you said, what are the films that you've seen in the cinema, of which for us there are like hundreds um, in the the last few years, where you really remember it as a sort of cinematic experience, Ghost Story's going to be in there, right? And it definitely definitely is. I think it's the only film that we've watched together where we did not get any cinema snacks because it's inappropriate. Yeah, although... Yeah, I know you did it the first time. Yeah, first time round. Uh, yeah, Paul Paul wasn't best pleased because he was sat the other side of the aisle and he could hear me eating, like, uh, peanut M&Ms for the running time like a dick. But, uh, <laughs> yes, okay, moving on from the Guardian Top 100, you know, please give us your thoughts on their breakdown once you get a chance to look through it and see their justifications. I'm sure Paul will wade in next week as well. We've also got news, which I've basically completely tailor-made for uh, France <laughs> discussion, discussing sort of pleasure here, which is the fact that HBO are preparing a Game of Thrones Targaryen prequel series that could and probably will be picked up for distribution in the near future. This is in fact the second prequel series, right? Because there's another one concerned concerned with the Stark? The Stark family and the beginnings of like the White Walkers, you know. Right. You haven't watched all of Game of Thrones now, that's very upsetting for me. No, Full, full disclosure. I've watched maybe season one. You watched season one, of and Game then of once Carl Drogo was out, you seemed to be that was my boy. Unhappy, and he's gone. There's so many more boys. <laughs> I I was in it for nudity and dragons, and I feel like when that's you missed not... like there was so much more nudity and dragons in the other seasons. <laughs> well, I should go back then. <laughs> I really should go back. But like, yeah, I know that the you know the country and the world at large was sort of going mad for Game of Thrones, particularly when it was coming to its conclusion in the the, the full series was coming to its conclusion. So, like, as someone who actually knows what they're talking about in regards to Game of Thrones. What do you feel about them rolling out, what, two prequels, maybe more prequel series in the future? Are you lapping it up or are you thinking, like, that's enough? I don't know. I mean, I'm super into the idea because I really like Game of Thrones. I think, like most other people, I was quite disappointed with the series finale. And I think that's how many people were. So I think this is like an opportunity to kind of delve back into character and storylines from even for these set of characters and just see it in a different way. I think it'll be really interesting. But then, I mean, there's obviously the risk of it being terrible as well, which would also be disappointing because you get sometimes people trying to like make more money and it just being shit. Yeah. I'm hoping that it's going to be good. I'm most excited for like the Targaryen bit because I just liked that story arc more than the other ones I guess during the series I like I really liked Amelia Clark I really like the Targaryens I kind of like the fact they're a bit mental right so yeah I mean it says here in my notes because as I've established I don't know what I'm talking about but this Targaryen prequel series is set 300 years before the events of the the main series of Game of Thrones uh, and being developed of course by George R.R. Martin along with a guy Ryan Condal who apparently was the co-creator of Colony which is a TV series that I haven't seen and and don't have insight to talk about Uh, but the series itself I'm told is based on Fire and Blood which was a follow-up novel released by George Martin last year. I have a question though, does that mean Targaryens who feature in the series 
won't have been alive. Do they live 300 years plus? No, they're like normal right. human beings. They're not like mystical creatures apart from like dragons and stuff. I think it's going to be cool though because the whole storyline of Targaryens and like the Game of Thrones world prior to the Game of Thrones series featured a lot more dragons because the Targaryens will have dragons but mm. they all like died out like ages before that we got to the point where this whole series was set on. So I think there's definitely scope for more dragons. Yeah. And more cool battles. Absolutely. And this is like one hell of a cash cow as well. Like I know that's not the angle for, for true fans, but I mean if this is actually rolled out on real HBO as a, you know, drum roll please new Game of Thrones outing, then it's gonna be like we're seeing with uh, the Disney rollout a new Star Wars series and the, the I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but the series that Paul was talking about a couple of weeks ago, which was like the new Star Wars, forgive me, Mr. Anderson. Oh, for... yeah, yeah, we've watched that. We've I... seen the trailer, yeah, right? Yeah, none of us, we, neither of us really care about Star Wars. So no. They, they, we thought it looked cool, though. It did look cool, <laughs> and it's, yeah, and it's got Werner Herzog involved, so I was all for it, and Taika Waititi and, and Gina Carano, which was mad. So, yeah, I mean, it could be a great thing, but like you say, it's just got to be done right to basically not piss off hardcore fans exactly. like and yourself. If it's, but the thing is, though, if it's done off a book that he's written for it, it might be good because for example it's gonna sound i'm just gonna sound like such a nerd but like harry potter obviously came out of the books and then jk rowling wrote the fantastic beast series which is technically like a prequel ish because it's based on someone who writes novels mm. for the students then to read and they worked out quite well i think so yeah yeah true it's not like somebody else has taken the property and is gonna like do it their own way it seems like this is coming from the original source so yeah i think it'll be good as long as the casting's good. But I think it'll be hard to be disappointed because it's not this storyline, it's beforehand, so I think it's got scope to be good. Yeah, because it's weird, isn't it, Fran, when you tune into a thing that you're used to sort of taking in and the casting's been all mixed around and different people are offering up the stuff that you used to get in a particular way, right? Like today's episode of the podcast. <laughs> um, so we will be back just after a, a little short sting break of some kind that I put in in post uh, with the section of the show that we like to call Popcorn Movies right after this. Right, here we are, back. Popcorn Movies. This is the section of the show, as you know, where usually Paul and I, today Fran and I, discuss the films that we've been watching in the last seven days, what we thought of them, if they're worth your time as well. Uh, Fran, do you want to kick off or shall I go first? It's totally up to you. You please. Right, so first for me this week is one called Black Rock. This one I saw on Netflix from 2012, or I saw it in 2019, but it was originally produced in 2012 and available now. Uh, it's the directorial feature debut, I believe, of Katie Asselton, who of course is um, an actress of uh, many uh, sort of mumblecore and indie film, and also the wife of sort of mumblecore king, Mark Duplass. Uh, in this one, he co-wrote the screenplay with his wife, Katie Asselton, and what we get is a sort of nuts and bolts revenge thriller focusing on three female protagonists. They're played by Katie Asselton herself, Lake Bell and Kate Bosworth. At the beginning of the film, you get this sequence in a car where Kate Bosworth's taking her friend, played by Lake Bell, off for a, a break away from their work lives, busy work lives, to the countryside area where they grew up. 
uh, unbeknownst to Belle's character, they are going to stop and pick up Katie Asselton's character, who is her sort of sworn enemy. And Bosworth's character is trying to bring the two back together, in fact, bring the group of three back together, like when they were kids, and go off on, a, on an adventure as a trio to find the time capsules that they buried when they were young. Um, in the process, they bump into a group of guys that they went to school with, originally thinking they're under threat and then realising they're familiar with each other. They sit around a campfire, drink a lot of drinks, have a lot of chat, and then things go a little bit wrong. Uh, one of the guys pays a little bit too much interest, to say the least, in the character played by Katie Asselton, which leads to her defending herself in any way that she can, um, and then a game of kind of revenge cat and mouse makes up the third act or at least the second half more so the second half of the movie i think it's a good you've seen this as well fran you watched most I of it i saw it from the part when they were hanging out with the guys yeah right so i missed the first little bit the setup part yeah, yeah i missed the setup bit and, and, and yeah i mean the setup part is is interesting enough i think the trio of actresses are very talented in fact we seem to keep seeing kate bosworth in stuff recently for some reason yeah. um the, the the domestic stands out as something that we just found from nowhere you know that like post-apocalyptic thing where they were a couple trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic wasteland oh yeah but yeah in this one yeah the trio are good it's just what happens with them then is a bit disappointing um in so much as we've seen this done this kind of thing done many times quite a lot better there's times when you'll think of something like deliverance or you'll think of like you know um the video nasty movies like i spit on your grave or something like that uh but then you'll think of like modern things like um Oh, the one with Fassbender that's by a lake, Eden Lake, um, which, yeah, again, just similar-ish kind of setup, but uh, uh, maybe handled by people who have a bit more skill with this particular kind of movie. In fairness to Katie Asselton and indeed Mark Duplass, they haven't, other than the creep movies that, that Mark Duplass has made, they haven't made a great deal of, of like thrillery stuff. Um, Baghead, I think it was called, a really early Duplass one, was, was kind of like a whodunit, thrillery, slashery thing, but um, otherwise it's kind of virgin territory for them. So yeah, I think it kind of, the wheels fall off a little bit towards the end and it all became a bit dull. What did you think? Because you saw like, yeah, like you said, most of it except for the set. I mean, I think I didn't, I mean, I didn't really enjoy it that much. And I think that was shown by the fact that I started playing on my phone quite a lot. And that usually means I'm not really that interested. <laughs> Sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Bradshaw in his review in the Guardian said, "I started playing on my phone quite a lot, and so I <laughs> uh, don't really know." Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you though. It is one of those. Where it just you... seemed a bit unbelievable and a bit, a bit silly. It's all a bit silly, wasn't it, Fran? It was a bit silly. It was a bit silly. It was a bit silly, and it was a bit predictable, and we knew it was going to happen, and then it's like, you, you, it's hard to buy into what's happening as well. Well, it was hard to buy into, because the guys are supposed to be, like, military. Yeah. They're trained to kill people. Yeah. Yet they seem to get attacked by women yeah, with and, no issue at all. And they can't seem to shoot straight from about 10 yards. Yeah, they're, they're terrible shots. And you're um, like, wow, how have you been out on battlefields? They've just come back as well from like serving as well, I think. And it's like, come on. Yeah. So, I mean, in the summary, watch Eden Lake, watch uh, The Perfect Getaway, watch Deliverance. This one you could probably skip unless you're an absolute Duplass slash Kate Aston completist, which I am. So I'm glad I saw it, but I'm not going to remember it for very long. Fran. What have you got this week first for Popcorn Movies, your debut on this section of the show and indeed this entire show? Well, 
I often like to watch little films when you go off and teach lessons upstairs on Skype. So this week I decided to watch My Best Friend's Wedding because it was on Netflix in my list and I've never seen it and I like a rom-com. I'm quite simple in what I like to watch really, especially in like evening. Sometimes, you know, you just want to watch something that's silly. Yeah, so <laughs> this is like late 90s rom-com that... I'm, I think everybody's aware of, but I don't think I've ever seen. Well, it was released in 1997, yeah. so I would have been seven. So I didn't see it at the time, just basically about how young I am there, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've not seen it before, but I've seen other films that the director has directed, like The Dressmaker with Kate Winslet. I really like that film. PJ Hogan, apparently, Yeah, I mean, guy. I've never heard of him, but I've seen that film. But it's got like, you know, a classic 90s cast, I think, you know, a bit of Julie Roberts, a bit of Cameron D. Diaz, too. Diaz, you know, sorry. The rest of you. <laughs> Rupert Everett. Dermot Mulrooney. He's yeah. a guy who's like really familiar and he's in loads of stuff, but I never really remember his name. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was a classic kind of film, you know. She's a food critic, Julie Roberts is a food critic, and she's hanging out with her gay best friend, who's played by Rupert Everett, and... She's just talking about how she used to have this best friend, or she has a best friend, and they see each other, and they used to date back in the day, but it never really worked out. But they have a pact that if they get to 28, which well, she's about to turn 28, and they, neither of them got married, they'd marry each other. Right. But then you're like, oh, what's going to happen here? Because then she gets a missed call from him, phones him back, thinking maybe it's because we're nearing 28, maybe we're going to marry each other. But no, he's marrying someone else. Cameron Diaz and he basically wants her to be a part of the wedding and she agrees to that because he's her best friend she goes there and then slowly realises actually she loves him but does she love him or does she just want him because she can no longer have him that's the question and then she just basically tries to break up their relationship in many ways karaoke is involved of course it is. Of course it is. Why would it not be involved? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, she's a food critic. Of course she is. It's a food critic or, like, a magazine editor. Everybody in rom-com seems to have I'm pretty have sure her, like, gay best friend is a magazine editor or definitely <laughs> an editor of some sort. Na naturally. Yeah, and I think he's, like, oh, he writes for, like, you know, a sports magazine and he's marrying a girl whose father owns, like, the White Sox or something. So you're like, of course. Yeah. That all works out fine. So does this movie work? I mean, of the late 90s rom-com subgenre, is this a standout for you? It's wonderful. I really enjoyed it. It was terrible, but great. The hair was questionable. The outfits are terrible. But it's just sort of a whole nice smush of 90s wonderfulness. Bad soundtrack. There's a very odd title sequence at the beginning where they have all the other titles. But there's like a girl dressed in a weird 90s wedding dress surrounded by bridesmaids singing a song, which I cannot remember what it is now. But it's like the theme song of the film. And it's, it's just a bit weird. But it did make me think partly through the, the film of a different film which I had already seen. Right. Which is, oh, I'm just making some <laughs> I have such lame film choices. But it's uh, called Maid of Honour. But Maid is an M-A-D-E of Honour. Brilliant. And it's basically the same script kind of story but roles reverse, so it's the guy who's like, I'm in love with this woman, but I didn't know beforehand. I think I actually preferred that one, because it's more cheesy, I don't know. Yeah, so a, a hot double bill, if you're, if this is exactly your kind of thing, the old marriage pact, will they, won't they, wedding sabotage genre, then you can get two of those for the price of one. And no spoilers involved, but in one of those stories, 
they do marry that person and the other one they don't. Oh, which one is it? Choose your own adventure. Although you kind of, kind of roll the dice and see which one works out. Yeah, so that's Maid of Honor's, what, later? 2008. Nate. Okay, yeah. and this is 1997. Cool, yeah, I kind of watched about 10 minutes of this but not enough to uh, to claim that I've yeah, actually seen you just walked out. I think it. you saw what I was watching. I was like, nope. <laughs> one, another one, uh, Fran, that we watched together uh, is my second one of this week, which is Before I Wake. This is from director Mike Flanagan that... Uh, we've discussed on the show a little bit because he's got a new uh, movie coming out shortly and he's been responsible for things that I really like like um, Oculus and Hush the movie with the, the deaf woman and the home invasion uh, yeah this one Before I Wake stars Kate Bosworth again she's back uh, Thomas Jane and little Trembly Jacob Jacob Tremblay from Room of course here he's even younger perhaps than he was when they shot that movie it seems like it anyway he looks about six in this he's thing he's adorable um, Before I Wake then to set it up uh, tells a story of two parents played by Kate Bosworth and Thomas Jane who decide to foster a, a child after the untimely uh, tragic early death of their only child in fact only their son who's recently passed away and what we learn was uh, an accident involving uh, b- bathing bathwater and yeah drowning and horrible um, the agency that they go to match them up with a little kid played by Jacob Tremblay as you would expect um, who has they learn been basically found abandoned by his foster parents yeah they found him alone in the previous home he was in Mm. and they just left him right and so he's got kind of like like, why they left him weird yeah strange circumstances not really explained we've seen one flashback sequence with the former foster father going nuts with a gun in the house and we don't quite know what that's about or why but we know that this kid's bringing with himself like the baggage of past trauma and then of course the parents have got all of this past trauma that's quite fresh and raw as well because of the loss of their child and so what could possibly go wrong um, he, he moves in he seems all sweetness and light he's unbelievably adorable little, little Tremblay uh, but the weirdness begins with him sitting up at night underneath a blanket drinking caffeinated drinks and uh, and sort of munching down caffeine tablets because he seems incredibly averse to the idea of going to sleep telling people that if he goes to sleep he's going to be hunted by the canker man who has told him that he she it will always always be with him in a really creepy voice in a really creepy voice yeah and from this point we know it's gonna be jump scares it's gonna be creepiness it's gonna be um you know difficulties for the family to say the very least um what did you think of this movie fran i don't know if you have you seen like oculus in um what else i mentioned harsh in any of his other movies i have not pete because as you know it's not your bag i hate horror films because i'm so easily scared I just don't like it. So every time we sit down, you're like, oh, let's watch this. I try and be brave and pretend it's fine. But secretly, I'm there like, oh, no, this is going to be, I'm going to I'm gonna really show myself up now to be an absolute wimp. Yeah, there's a very particular move that goes on here, which is, uh, it happened, I think, most recently when we went to the secret screening that turned out to be Crawl. Oh, God. The horror movie Crawl, where... Uh, <laughs> Francesca digs her fingernails between the muscle of my arm and the bone, which, try it on yourself, it's really unpleasant. It feels like you're you're being separated from yourself, but it's just a, a, a reaction to like horror films in general, I think. I yeah, I just don't like being scared. I mean, I'm scared of everything, so it's not hard to scare me. But this was like, it was all right. I didn't find it too scary in the end. It was a bit creepy. Mm. It, it didn't like, it wasn't too bad. I think I'm more adverse to like really gruesome stuff you know 
Yeah, I mean, we've got quite a bit of creepy kids. Not only Tremblay being gradually I mean, creepy kids are the worst. creepier, but they are, yeah. And like also the the sort of effigy of their dead child turns up creeping it up quite a lot as this ghostly figure who's hovering about in their front room. Um, there's some quite like artful CGI stuff in here. A big motif of butterflies. The, the uh, poster art is a butterfly, but then we've got butterflies hatching or apparently just appearing, materialising in the house. Out yeah. of nowhere, which to be honest, in itself got under my skin quite yeah, a bit. It was super weird, and how they didn't react weirdly the first time it happened because surely you'd be like, Why are there shit tons of butterflies yeah, in my yeah. house? It was very much like, Oh, where are they coming from? How strange! And then They're they just, so kind of, just kind of what? went with it, yeah. And, and they very, very quickly do seem to figure out some idea about, Oh, this weird kid that we fostered allows us to see visions of our dead son, so let's roll with that. Which I thought was, yeah, maybe, maybe there was a, a, a more of an edit than there needed to be in terms of credibility then and following along with the plot line I mean I do think this is sort of second tier Mike Flanagan I don't think it's right up there with his best stuff but there's yeah like a good sense of creepiness some good jump scares in it if you like that sort of thing which you know obviously you don't absolutely have to uh, but I think towards the end and particularly the final act of the film it all gets a bit overdone and a bit like hammed up and a bit of like a bit of um fatigue of things just rushing towards the camera which we'll have more of I guess when we get to today's feature review but yeah uh, maybe not my favourite Flanagan work but worth checking out again if you're a fan of that kind of thing Fran you've got one more for this week what is that? I do this film we watched together as well true I've never seen it before I think you have yeah a few times yeah we watched The Thing The Thing as in the 1982 version oh, not, yeah. not the remake or the or the previous version of the movie before the 82 version right yes the john carpenter that's right the, the version let's be honest um mm. we watched this one on blu-ray right but it's on netflix i think or amazon prime one of those two i think it's netflix i think it's netflix i think most things are on netflix yeah true true story um so obviously this is kurt russell keith david and, and a bunch of others um yeah they, i mean for people who don't know there's a research team they're based in antarctica they suddenly are um confronted with a team of Norwegian researchers seemingly fleeing their outpost and or chasing a dog well, for some reason. Well, they're chasing a husky. And yeah. I mean, at first I felt a bit upset about this because you know how I feel about animal violence. Mm. I don't like to see it in films or anything. It makes me feel very upset. More so than seeing humans die. That I don't care. Animals, I like them a lot more. So mm. I was getting a bit panicked they were going to shoot a husky. So when they died, I was like, okay, that's fine. The husky's okay. We're all right. But then... Yeah, it all kind of got a bit creepy because then the dog got a bit weird and grew into a weird gross creature. They yeah. went on a little recce to go find the Norwegian camp and they found some weird stuff. I mean, kind of cool imagery because there were people there dead. But I kind of enjoyed in a weird way how this person had obviously like cut themselves to death. And then their blood like frozen in icicles down. And I was like, ooh, that's so creepy. But I kind of liked it. It was a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is pretty iconic. I mean, the soundtrack's iconic. The setting's iconic. We had to look it up afterwards because you said, like, there is no part of this movie where Kurt Russell dresses in he's appropriate not, clothing. It's because he, like, stands outside his little hut and he's in a T-shirt. Like, what's going on? You're in Antarctica. Surely it's really cold because everyone else is wearing gigantic parkas and, like, full weather wear. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go to my helicopter and put some, like, a leather bomber jacket. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, that's got warmth in it. Because it's more important that he's just an absolute badass than he actually is, like, a real realistic person I mean you know. he's a badass I enjoy everything about him 
But well, well, he he opens the movie by playing computer chess. Like really early on, he's playing computer chess oh, yeah. against his old eighties computer, and then he gets checkmated by the computer, having thought he was in like an advantageous position. And so he just chucks his glass of whiskey into his computer and breaks it, writes it off for the future. Doesn't care because he's a badass. He's not bothered. Go outside in a t-shirt. Like, I not don't bothered. even need to play chess anymore. <laughs> exactly. I don't need this computer. It sucks. I'm gonna wear a weird cowboy hat while I fly a plane, which makes no sense. <laughs> it turns out though they shot it in um, BC, like British Columbia in Canada. So hence the fact that. Um, he was able to survive the conditions, I guess, in in place of actual Antarctica. And they've got like the exterior establishing stuff is in Alaska, not Antarctica. So yeah, easier to shoot that way for sure. And to have your badass character wearing t-shirts outside. Yeah, for certain. Um, But you liked it? I did actually like it because it's kind of like, I really like old horror-y kind of films a lot more than modern ones because all the special effects kind of like outdated but i enjoy that more because it makes it more funny and like they're kind of gross but also it's hilarious like head growing weird legs out of it normally if you did that now they try and make it too realistic and then it's still absurd Mm. but it's better when it's all like a bit like creepy you know well yeah i mean there are two cases in point uh scary stories to tell in the night which we reviewed a couple episodes ago um absolutely takes from this movie i mean so many movies influenced by john carpenter at large and the thing specifically and then also it chapter two which we're going to get on to talk uh, get on to talking about in the feature review today borrows heavily from this movie and from john carpenter so you can see the fingerprints of that now but you're right i think when you've got that practical effects or mid-80s stuff it can actually look really cool because like on the one hand kind of goopy and kind of well and you think about you think about like how did they achieve that like how they actually yeah, make totally. that work with practical stuff rather than oh it's you know cutting edge computer wizardry which kind of fills in the gaps and does it for it you it just doesn't look as cool when it's like that i prefer it being a bit like shoddy and gloopy looking and a bit gross because you're like Ugh. Mm. yeah <laughs> i mean the contrast couldn't be greater between before i wait which i talked about last which has got all of this sort of lovely cgi stuff but sometimes feels a bit weightless and then you've got something like the thing where it all feels very tangible even if it looks goofy now all these years it's on. great i like it so yeah good thumbs up for that because i was worried that that was going to be another one into that um you know room 101 of like Mulholland drive and uh lock and stuff where you'd just be like no it's shit and but i you think showed like, me another Ooh. one of his films wasn't it the escape from uh, assault on precinct 13 but like no no it wasn't that one it's the it's, i don't know if it's the same director but it's got kurt russell in it escape from oh new escape york. from new york yeah yeah like that and you like that, that was yeah really cool. yeah true yeah assault on precinct 13 less so i think you watched that with me as well yeah you didn't like that either, police station yeah. shoot it's really early he was like 25 when he made it but yeah it's it's, it's got got its yeah, issues yeah. um it's we have not got any issues seemingly we're absolutely acing this Smashing uh, it. we're going to be back in just a moment to continue with today's lovely old show uh with the section of the show that we call coming attractions right after this So, we are back. Coming Attractions is the section, as you know, where we talk about what's going to be coming this week, coming out at the cinema and sometimes on streaming platforms and things like that as well, and our anticipation levels for those releases. First up this week, wow, it's almost like the stars have aligned perfectly. On wide release, we have a film going by the name of Downton Abbey, which I'm told is based on a popular television series by of the same name. If only I had someone close at hand who knew what on earth this was all about. Fran, what 
I know what Downton Abbey is by name. I know that it's something to do with English history and I know it's to do with sort of posh people and servants downstairs in the servants' quarters. Are oh, the good old days, darling. <laughs> the good old days, yes. Sure. Uh, you tell you told me that this is actually set in nineteen twenty seven. What is Downton Abbey? <laughs> Downton Abbey. Oh my god, I sound like such a loser because I watched all this stuff. It's helpful for this I show though, <laughs> really helpful. I'm not ashamed of the fact I like Downton Abbey. Sure, most people who watch it are middle-aged, but that's fine. I watch it with my mum and we're cool because of that. I like it though. It's nice. It's got beautiful period drama. This particular film though, I think it's going to be following on from the TV show. The last episode of the TV show was in 2015 at the Christmas special. That yeah. ended. It was a devastating time for me because I was like, what do you mean? No more Downton Abbey. I was witness to that. I, I know. I was so unhappy. It was a great, great episode, but... There, I've discovered recently that they were bringing out a film and it seems to be based around yeah 1927 King George V and Queen Mary um, visiting the Downton Abbey house and the family there and causing a stir that's what I've kind of gathered from the trailers and like the synopsis that you can find I guess they don't want to give too much away but it seems to be that it's a film you could watch even if you haven't watched the TV show because I doubt they'd make one that you could only watch yeah i mean i mean little uh you know peek behind the curtain we've already made peace with the fact that you're going to go watch this at the cinema with your mum yes i am going i'm actually not on that guest list but i'm okay with that well i just didn't want to invite you because i thought you might say something through it and it would cause me to have to murder you i don't speak in the i whisper occasionally yeah i know but like for example at home if you're watching something you're oh it's a different story totally different story but she was saying i like you know shut up yeah, I mean, that is an encapsulation of my character. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I mean, if Paul Anderson over there decides that he d- wants to do a big feature review, bumper, special edition podcast next week on Downton Abbey, then I'll fall into line and go watch it. But otherwise, don't I don't worry, know. I can always come and guest back and give a feature review on Downton Abbey. It might be necessary, to, to be honest, to dig us out of a hole of complete ignorance. Um, okay, also out this week and one that we're actually going to see this very evening in is, about an hour and a half I think yeah we better hurry this thing along uh, <laughs> is a film called Hustlers on wide release this week uh, from director Loren Scafaria or Loren 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 is that right Scafaria uh, this is the director of Seeking a Friend for the End of the World also an actress on uh, in films like Coherence which we really liked and talked about on this show interesting it stars Constance Wu who was so great in Crazy Rich Asians we've got J-Lo uh, Jen from the block we've got Julia Stiles Cardi B uh, making what I believe is a feature debut I'd imagine as an actress and uh, an actress that you told me you like called Lily Reinhardt that I didn't know anything about um, who's she? I oh god I should never put these things on there because it just shows how uncool I am again she's right. from a TV show called Riverdale that's on the Netflix I know the one based on like the by Arch name. comics you know cool okay uh, Hustlers then apparently is inspired by the viral New York Magazine article um, on the topic of a group of savvy former strip club employees who banded together to turn the tables on their Wall Street, like, client overseers, yeah. Yeah. Um, And obviously the group of actresses that we've just mentioned are going to be that group there who in those central roles. Um, well, we're going to see it, so I'm assuming you've got some interest in this round. But how are you? How are you feeling going in? I mean, it's got pretty good reviews so far. It seems like 79 or something on Metacritic. I think I'm pretty excited about it because I mean, it's an all-female cast directed by a woman. That makes me feel excited because you know, 
I'm a woman. You were just gonna. <laughs> you told me you were just gonna scream "girl power" for the girl preview, power! <laughs> preview of this movie. <laughs> I was, you know, throughout the whole film as well. Maybe just every now and then, just yell it out. No, I think it's really cool. It looks. The trailers are cool. I like Cardi B. Yeah. What's not to like? It's going to have some good music going on in it, I'm sure. Yeah, and like Constance Wu was just just like amazing in, in exactly. Crazy Rich Asians and just seems like a bona fide sort of film film star at this point. So Yeah, I'm definitely excited to go see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And well, I mean, we'll obviously we'll have a review next week. Um, you know, Fran, you feel free to gate crash on that one and tell us why <laughs> we're right or wrong. But uh, yeah. Oh, and we, we noted down here also, uh, it's certainly guaranteed to be better than the film The Hustle that we saw earlier this year yeah, with uh, Anne Hathaway, which was so bad. It's, it's actually on my top 10 worst films of the year at the moment. More on that Whoa. at the end of the year. Uh, yes, right. Also up, two more uh, runners this week on limited release. We've got Night Hunter, formerly known as Nomis. No miss, no idea. Uh, this one is from director David Raymond, who I believe, again, this is his first feature, and it feels like uh, one of those debuts where I, someone's pulled some strings somewhere. But he's the writer-director on this project, and he's managed to get together a cast made of Alexandra Daddario, Henry Cavill, Stan, Stanley Tucci, Ben Kingsley, Nathan Fillion, uh, and Emma Tremblay, the sister of Jacob Tremblay that we talked about in Before I Wake earlier on. That made you very excited. It, it really did. I didn't know there were more Tremblay out there in the world and now I'm aware and the world feels like a richer place um yeah this one it's not getting good early reviews I think we're on about a 30% on the Metacritic's uh, you know scale at the moment it apparently tells the story of a weathered lieutenant his police force and a local vigilante who are caught up in a dangerous scheme involving a recently arrested troubled man I presume that troubled man is going to be played by obvious troubled man Henry Cavill of sort of you know chiseled good looks and absolute blankness uh, li who's linked to years of female abductions and murders I mean I could sort of imagine that of Cavill like I guess. Really? Uh, well, a bit of, I don't know. I don't know. He seems like too much of a nice guy, yeah, though. Yeah, think up. They are. Though, Even aren't he they? was like a bad guy in um, was it the latest Mission Impossible yeah, film? Was, and it was yeah. weird because I was like. It just doesn't seem And then they teamed bad. up and you're like, yeah, well, obviously, because he's not that bad. Although, well, yeah, they were sort of antagonists of each other and trying to kill each other towards the end, weren't they? They did. The whole time? Yeah, yeah. The whole Okay, time yeah, no, I mis yeah, yeah, misremembered yeah, yeah, what no, happened. No. I thought he sort of joined the crew. Oh, no. No, it never happened. Um, yeah, big name cast, low, low level of expectations, I think I've written here, and uh, maybe one to avoid. I mean, it, I've read a bit about the production process on this thing and early reviews. I read a couple of early, like, buzzy reviews when it debuted, I think it was Sundance or one of the, the festivals, uh, where you could see that there were the people who had a financial interest in the film giving it a lot of positive feedback and a lot of radio silence from other quarters of uh, the film world. So, yeah, yeah. You've not sold it to me. No, I don't think Night Hunter's going to get on any best of list at the end of the year. But maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe all the critics have got it wrong and it's brilliant. Uh, the last one of this week is a doco called Honeyland. A doco. Uh, a doco uh, <laughs> called Honeyland on limited release. And this one is from two filmmakers, Tamara Kotevska and Lubomir. Lubomir? Lubomir. Stefanov. Wow, I should have left amazing. both of those names off of these notes. <laughs> but yeah, this one is about the last female bee hunter in Europe who must save the bees and return the natural balance in Honeyland when a family of nomadic beekeepers invade her land and threaten her livelihood. Uh, an exploration of uh, observational, indigenous visual narrative that deeply impacts our behaviour towards nature. I'm not even sure what that means. 
it sounds kind of intriguing. Where are you feeling, you know, your expectations are? Like, how much do you care about bees is really the question. I like bees. Bees are very important. Without bees, we all die. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we know that not only all the bees die, we die, but bees aren't like people. They don't <laughs> lie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you care about bees, get yourself down there to wherever on earth this is playing. Because to be honest, I would imagine for, you know, uh, provincial folk like ourselves, we'll probably have to wait till it's available on streaming or something in yeah, a little likely. bit of time. But, yeah, that one is Honeyland and, again, released this week. Now, that brings us to the end of Coming Attractions, which means that you can settle down, get yourself ready, sit back in your seat, because we're going to be back in just a moment with a section of the show that we call Feature Review. This week, we're going to be delving into the world of It, Chapter 2, right after this. And we are back with our feature review of It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2 obviously follows on from the events of the 2017 film It itself, a kind of reboot of sorts of the limited TV miniseries based on the novel by Stephen King. In this movie, um, I'm sure you're well aware, but this the events of this movie are all surrounding the adult versions of the kids from the first film we've jumped forward 27 years after the events of that film the losers club which was populated by all those kids uh, in the film a couple of years ago have grown up they've moved on with their lives however they're brought back together following a violent attack in the community that they're told about by the character played by Isaiah Mustafa here, who wants to reunite the group to take on Pennywise, the malevolent clown that's been abducting children and doing all kinds of monstrous things in that community, who resurfaces, apparently, so goes the law, every 27 years. Um, if Pennywise is going to be stopped, the adults are going to have to use all their adult wiles and overcome the trauma of their childhood encounter with that clown. We'll get into our thoughts on the movie right after we hear a little clip. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead, if it ever comes back, we'll come back to it. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. Clown. We can't let it happen again. Hello? Hello. <laughs> so, in this version of the film, we've got an adult cast, um, at the front of which is Jessica Chastain. Then we've got James McAvoy, Bill Hader, Isaiah Mustafa, as I mentioned, um, Jay Ryan, James, James Ransom. And Bill Skarsgård, of course, as Pennywise. First of all, incredible casting of the kids, right? Like adult versions of the kids. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, I haven't seen the first film, but because you get flashbacks in it, you can see the original like child cast, and it was really easy to tell who was supposed to be playing who. Yeah, yeah, and there are bits, yeah, like you say, when they flash back, where you kind of almost get to see them like side by side. Yeah, I think the only one that was like a. I understand why they did the casting, but it doesn't look like the young version of themselves is um, Jay Ryan's character, Ben, because he's a bit of a chubster as a kid, and he grows up to be this incredibly, like, donnest human being. But can you still sort of see it? Like, facially, they looked a, a little, little bit, bit A little similar. bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. 
But it was definitely the tale of, hey, look at me, I got sexy suddenly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, he really did blossom. He went to the Oof. gym a little bit and, and got rid of the pounds and turned into... It worked out. Yeah, like you say, a bit of an Adonis in this movie. And, and you know, everybody would gravitate towards that guy. I mean, when there's sort of a, a love interest triangle with Chastain and McAvoy's character and his character, you think, come on. Yeah, you're always like, oh, what if your shirt accidentally falls off? That'd be a shame. Yeah, for, for <laughs> sure. Um, yes. So, well, I guess we can kick this off with saying, you know, I said in the preview or in the introduction set up to the movie that there is this attack that brings about the group getting back together, the Losers Club getting back together. And what that is, is at, a, or at the exit of the fairground in the present day, or the set present day in the movie, um, a pretty graphic, very violent, homophobic hate crime. Yeah, it was pretty... <laughs> pretty horrific. Yeah, I mean, there's been much talk about this. Like, do you feel that, having seen the considerable runtime of the rest of the movie that this was ever really justified no I never I mean I didn't really understand what was going on because I hadn't seen it before so I wondered if perhaps like one of these two characters was going to be from the original group of kids and that's why they were focusing on them but just to have that kind of attack like to set up a film I thought was a bit strange because you don't really see the aftermath of it like one of the partners gets thrown overboard somewhere, they're really injured, the other person gets away, but mm. you never see them again, yeah. or have any like input from them, because they also saw Pennywise, so yeah. why wouldn't they be involved in anything else afterwards? Yeah, the point being that the body that's in the water is then dragged out of the water by Pennywise, seen by the guy trying to save that other guy who's been so badly beaten, only for Pennywise to dig its teeth into its neck and, and put an end to this person who's already been savagely beaten. I mean, like what you it's can yeah i mean what it's yeah, not for, for the children so much is it i mean there are two ways that i think i think about this on the one hand um horror movies should be horrifying so if you see something like um, a, a hate crime and it's horrifying that should be the case because it's a horror movie it's supposed to make you confront things that scare you and homophobic violence is scary and um, yeah terrifying and should be presented that way on the other hand it feels a bit heavy-handed as a way of saying this is a movie about past trauma so here is a way of showing sort of visceral trauma and now we're going to use that as a springboard for you to understand that sort of subtext to the rest of the movie right which seems a bit cheap maybe. yeah well, it's a bit like oh this homophobic attack's terrible but let's just make it slightly worse by having a creepy demented clown bite like your juggler out because you know that might be worse who knows what yeah i mean i guess it's almost trying to physically tie pennywise to trauma yeah. but it's like it's both literal and then needs to be a metaphor uh, and it's difficult i think to straddle that line and i'm not sure that they they do that very well throughout the movie i mean yeah because this kind of takes us on to the rest of the film which yeah. is the group get back together and what we've got is a lot of intercutting between childhood events and what the adults are doing to try to find and end Pennywise um, and then as you pointed out when we were talking about it after the movie like it means that a lot of the runtime is spent jumping back to childhood trauma then a jump scare then a different character with the same rinse and repeat kind of pattern. Well, yeah, it was like going back to their childhood, then having a trauma, being terrified by the Pennywise clown, and then it would jump forward, the mean adult, and then being jumped again 
mm. like two times, and it's based on like the same like kind of scene in different aspects like of the time in the same place that they jump back to. And it kind of was a bit like, why the hell would you go back there if you got like terrifying trauma? I know they have to go back and get like their, I don't know, amulets, whatever they need to get their keepsakes that they needed to go find that meant something. But it just seemed a bit, it seemed a bit boring that they kept doing it over and over again because they split the whole group up and then each go off and do a story arc where that happens. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, and then, but then for some reason, no one like gets hurt and why would that not happen? Surely it would be better if like you just accidentally got someone attacked by the character because mm. he's trying to stop them from getting rid of him. And with that sort of cycle of the same kind of thing happening again and again, you almost start to feel like, oh, hey, this could be a TV miniseries if only someone had thought to adapt it as a TV miniseries. Oh, wait, they already did. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, because we haven't mentioned explicitly at this point, if you don't know, this film is long. It's so long. So long. It's, it's not like, having enough snacks for it. It's like two hours, 40 minutes. And you think, like, this kind of Why material... Is it so like, long? This kind of material feels like it should be a movie that's about 90, 100 minutes, it right? Been, I think it would have been better if it was shorter. Effective. They could have cut out some stuff and, like... Make chapter three for all I care. Just don't keep me yeah. in the cinema for two hours, 40 minutes. But Just kind of showing the same thing over and over again, right. basically. Right, and then in that same thing over and over, we've got jump scare stuff, and we've got, I think, sometimes kind of like effective, creepy, quite creative ways of scaring people. Um, however, having said that, we touched on it maybe earlier on, this film borrows heavily slash steals from John Carpenter. We've got a head on legs, just like in the thing that you yeah. talked about earlier. Uh, we've got Sam Raimi influence all over the shop, particularly when it comes to the projectile vomiting and like kinetic slapstick violence. Yeah. Sam Raimi just does that better. And I feel like if you're ripping that off, you're kind of setting yourself up for a, for a flop because it's going to look bad in comparison or it's just going to look like lazy yeah like pastiching of someone else's style um we've also got inexplicably almost a lifted here's johnny from the shining the, the Kubrick that was movie. weird I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I get it. We've seen things like, you know, Cabin in the Woods, uh, you know, paying homage to a load of different horror movies and the lore and stuff like that. But in this, it just felt a bit lazy. Quite but it was a bit like, oh, hey, this is, you know, from the Remember? Same yeah, he wrote this book too. Yeah, remember. Oh, do you see the connection? You hadn't made the connection. It was Stephen Surprise. King, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, and maybe you're playing to the wide audience. Maybe that's what people wanted. I'm not. There are a lot of younger people in the audience, I'm going to say, and they all, I think, enjoyed it because they don't know any better. Yeah, I guess if it's your, you know, um, what, House of Horrors, we've got like a haunted house kind of ride, this, of the year, your horror movie of the year, then maybe it, it ticks those boxes, I'm not sure. It's but... pretty tame, though. Yeah, I mean... Well, yeah, that's but, coming from me being an absolute pansy. But, but, but isn't that funny, though? It's tame, but it's a movie also that starts with an absolutely brutal hate crime. Yeah, that's so it's like, like it's weird, the, it's unbalanced. Like, the most horrific parts in it are like that, and then the obvious, like, domestic abuse that Jessica Chastain's character faces... Those are like horrific things that are touched on just part of the story. But then you focus on this weird CGI'd monster character who is like, I thought, I didn't really know much about it, but I thought it was a character that kind of evolved into your nightmares. But a lot of the time he's just a clown. Not everyone's scared of clowns. Sure, he's a creepy clown. Yeah, yeah. well that's it, isn't it? Like, it is just a conduit for whatever your trauma is from the past. But then it, in this movie particularly, I would say more so than the first movie, 
becomes almost redundant. Like, you could take He's not that character movie. out. You could take yeah. him out of the movie and it would be a movie about, oh, your past trauma morphs into something that looks all creepy and awful, runs at you, big bang, jump out of your seat. You don't even almost need the clown. And I think something's gone a bit wrong when that's the case. Yeah, he's not effective at being that frightening. Mm, yeah. You're just like, oh, there he is again. There he is. Weird, and even, even the way he speaks, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't, it didn't totally work for me, that, that part of it. I mean, I think for me, the best part of the last movie, the first movie, was all the kind of Stranger Things tinged setup stuff. Um, and in this movie, we have some amount of that as well. Some of the exterior shots are lovely. Some of the sense of like the gang getting back together, albeit in horrible circumstances, invested me somewhat in the movie. But then I think it's the stuff that we mentioned, like the kind of rinse and repeat scares and the kind of lazy homaging. And then, then yeah, the fact that the tone is kind of all over the place. Every time something genuinely frightening happens, it's then undercut with an attempt at humour that I don't think worked very well. Did you laugh? There was a guy behind us who thought it was so funny, this movie. I didn't laugh I didn't once. notice that at all. No, I mean, I didn't laugh. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was that scary. I think the most frightening part in the whole film was when there was a guy in the front row who tried to fight the person sat behind him. Oh, yeah, that did happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that did happen. Oh, that oh. <laughs> Yeah, there was almost an actual fist fight on the front row, I think, because someone was kicking someone else's chair. Although I reckon it was started because the guy who's having his chair kicked walked in at one point with, I think, three alcoholic drinks? Three pints, yeah. Three pints. He walked into the movie with three pints. Just for put, himself. Put them in separate cup holders, all for himself. And was like, right, I'm set scare me or whatever and and yeah so that that was a little bit horrifying thinking that there's going to just be straight up violence on the front row but um it didn't didn't come to fruition in the end and like i almost felt disappointed and i know it could have you know really really brightened the thing up i mean livened it up maybe not brightened it up I, yeah. I, I guess but yeah i mean other than i mean what else have we got here jessica chastain looks really good in a vest yeah, i mean you kept saying that to me during the film yeah i mean you're welcome uh <laughs> i mean we knew this already andy machete had shared that with us when he made mama and i mentioned it on the show so um yeah uh, call the police how about that you know how about when children are going missing and this malevolent force is back in the community and and wreaking havoc how about the police would be involved because there would have been a case file on the fact that kids had gone missing 27 years before and maybe the community police need to do something or even a higher level of police authority needs to do something about that yeah exactly i mean there's got to be people in america or like facilities in america that deal with this kind of shit you know I also want to mention, Fran, I don't know where you sound on this, mm. James McAvoy, when he's doing his big acting, is really starting to get on my nerves. I really like James McAvoy, but I do agree with you. I first realised that I hated parts of his acting in the film Split, mm. and when he does weird things. I understand that in his film, the child previously has like a stammer, but when he does it, it just seems a bit... Overdone. Yeah, and also it just doesn't, doesn't seem natural because obviously he doesn't naturally have a stammer but there's obviously ways of being like a really good actor and being able to do it more naturally there's something like there's something improv group about the way he acts when he's doing very deliberate when he does it and it's also around words and things that you wouldn't normally think that someone would be stammering about I just I just wanted to ease off the accelerator a little bit when it comes to putting like character traits in you know front and centre in his performance because it's grating yeah but he is lovely isn't he he is lovely I think he's a good lad (laughs) I should give him less of a hard time Bill Hader in this I think for all that you know the movie didn't really work for me too much and was way too long 
Bill Hader's comedy timing is really good. I mean, we knew that from SNL and you know elsewhere. He's good. Jessica Chastain is invested in the character even when the film gets pretty ridiculous. Although I would argue, as much as I really like Jessica Chastain as an actress, I think that the, and I forget her name right now. I should have it down in front of me. But the girl who played the child version of Jessica Chastain's character was just the best thing in the first movie. I thought. Oh, really, yeah. really good. Like, I'm sure she's going to go on to, to great things in the future. Um, and then we were talking about this beforehand as well. Like, Bill Skarsgård in this not only could not be in it, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure that like he worked that well as the big creepy presence. Maybe it's because they're adults now. Mm. Like, maybe when like your kids and there's a creepy clown, it seems a bit more menacing and scary. But they're all grown adults now who've like dealt with like worse kind of shit. Mm. And then it's like there's this like very caricature, creepy looking clown. I almost wanted him to be more sinister, more frightening yeah. than he was because he just seemed a bit, hey, I'm a creepy clown. Yeah, yeah, sure. And like the, the, the um, it made me think, this happens a lot I think recently because of the amount of films that we'll watch every year for doing the show and that kind of thing. But the whole um, creature slash scary thing lures you away from a fairground slash amusement park into another area to scare the shit out of you and there's a hall of mirrors that was much more frightening in what's up than us, us. that yeah. shit me up yeah absolutely and, and it's one of those things where you know it's not necessarily the fault of Andy Machete or the filmmakers here but like when you've got something like that in such recent memory what my brain starts to do is go oh I'd like to watch that film again it was actually done mm, a bit more effectively yeah. that, that movie as much as I've not gone for it hugely and it's maybe not sort of top ten of the year Creepier. for me yeah like it got me on sort of a gut level a lot more than this did at any point and i'm easily scared and creeped out and this film i, I don't like jump scares and that always freaks me out when things jump at me but otherwise i was like eh. yeah and, and and this like paul and i have discussed this on the show but like the jump scare that is sort of like you're waiting you're waiting really loud noise making you jump also in almost like involuntarily i feel is like the kind of weakest kind of jump jump scare yeah. and there's a lot of them here there's a lot more that can be done to make things more frightening. Absolutely, yeah. Less is more, I always think. But but yeah, it's like at once could be more frightening and also if it's going to go for like slapstick and comedy could be a lot more slapstick and a lot funnier. Yeah. And, and it gets caught between two posts. It's one of those movies that's trying to please so many different masters that in the end I think we get something sort of watered down. And watered down for, again, I can't overstate so like, a really long time. So long. So long. Uh, yeah, maybe we don't need it chapter three. Um, but I, I'll be interested to see what Paul made of this one. I can imagine imagine he'll have sort of ish similar thoughts but i can't guarantee it so we'll see when he gets back on the show next week only leaving us for this week my love my darling the north star in my sky to I thought you were talking about the listless so i was like all right <laughs> to, <laughs> to our final section the section of the show that we call credits this is where we give credit to something that we think is right good from the last week or so it doesn't have to be films it can be tv it can be video games it can be art it can be whatever the hell you want fran what have you encountered in the last week that you want to give credit to this week on the show well, for me, I'm going to talk about some uh, series because I watch far more TV series than I do films, I think. And this week I've watched two entire series. Maybe I've got a problem. I don't know yet. You d you are prolific when it comes to getting through In my defence, I have been unemployed for four months. I've had a lot of spare time. Don't worry, I start a job soon. I will calm it down. Yeah, you're going to go <laughs> to just like a couple of series per week. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've got through a lot, a lot. Buffy took up a lot of time this so, summer. So what are these series from this week? So, 
Firstly, I hit up Amazon Prime and watched Carnival Row, which stars Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom. Cara Delevingne with little wings, right? Yeah, because she's a fae. So this is right up my alley because I really like fantasy anything that's not real, basically. I'm super into it. So it'd be cool. It's like kind of steampunky. I like the colours. It's just really cool. I liked all of it. It had some very questionable accents because for some reason all the fae fairies are Irish. But Cara Delevingne doing an Irish accent, yeah, it was a very posh Irish accent. I know that I sound well spoken because you always say to me, but she's definitely more well spoken than I am and it was a bit odd. Mm-hmm. And then Orlando Bloom for some reason had like, you walked in when it was on and who did you say sounded like? What's the name? Jason, Jason Statham. Jason Statham, yeah. I was like, what's happening right no, now? To, to the extent that I would be unsurprised if he's been studying tape of Jason Statham to get that accent down. But I don't understand why that accent is necessary for him because it doesn't really fit his character. Well, maybe it's meant to fit his character. He comes across a bit like gruff and like... Ugh. But it was a bit weird. I'd rather him have a slightly less accented voice, I guess, if that's a word. If I'm not mistaken, he bit. did... Uh, uh, Cockney accent in that film with Numi Rapace that came out last year that was rubbish. Uh, I can't even remember the name. It had a really forgettable name. But yeah, I think he did a, a dodgy Cockney accent in that as well. Um, so this thing, like on the scale of tell everybody that you know that they have to watch Carnival Row all the way down to like, uh, you know, avoid it's not worth your time. Where does Carnival Row sit? I would say if you're into fantasy based dramas mm. hit it up it's how, pretty good how many sods are we talking oh crap I 10 don't... 12 20 not that many but like and 40 to an hour each and i watched it all in the space of one saturday but that doesn't guarantee anything <laughs> i can't remember off the top of my head there's i would say maybe 10 to 12 that that was a day of me going out to watch multiple football matches well that stuff, was your it? own fault you went out no no I'm, i don't mind i'll miss carnival row in a heartbeat yeah but football. also not only that day did i watch the entire series of Convert, I also watched three films afterwards. I went in on it that day. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, watched, commitment. I watched a lot of stuff in that day. That's I love real watch. commitment. I did enjoy it. But no, I'd say definitely go give it a watch. So they've got a lot of, there's some fairy sex going on. Some women. Yeah, you see, that's the one it thing. I'd cool. seen the trailer with the fairy sex and I was like, you got me with fairy sex. What I'm else in. have you got to offer? But then it turned out that you'd started watching it and then suddenly you'd finished watching I'd, it. So. Yeah, but I watched it and I don't think you'd like it because you're not as into fantasy stuff than I am and I'm willing to let certain things go whereas you'd be far more I mean if the, if the fantasy stuff in question is having sex with a fairy you into that? I'm into that well we can just watch the episode of the fairy sex happens it's pretty yes. cool though but it's based actually off a film script so maybe originally it was supposed to be like a film but right. they adapt it into this series and it's basically also they're following it's not just about fairies and stuff it's all about kind of like asylum they're all like asylum seekers because there's been wars in their countries so it's kind of relevant i guess in the world and how they're treated differently because they're different right paul will have an aneurysm if we talk for too much more time about t- tv shows so uh, the other one was good girls what's good girls about good girls good girls season two actually because i've already watched the first one it's on netflix it's starring christina Hendricks. you know you love it christina Hendricks. yeah i heard her interviewed and talked about uh, talking quite earnestly i think with mark maron about being in this show and how much he'd enjoyed it and how invested she was and it was a great experience and i was like right I'll definitely watch that and then I forgot the name of it and never watched it and then I watched it without you yeah if that happened it's really good it's basically about a group of three friends two of them are sisters 
they kind of in the first season get into it they need to make some money and then they rob a grocery store but then if they find out that actually a, a gang is in charge of the money in the grocery store so basically they robbed from a gang and then they're kind of indebted to this gang leader guy and uh, christina hendrix's character kind of families him as a romantic like thing with him even though he's a terrible person and they kind of go down an illicit route of being like bad girls because they're doing bad things so at the end of season one i can't remember what happened then but season two picks up from the last season and it just follows along the journey of where they are now after doing some unspeakable things that they have done to try and get out of it and the journey of like the fbi are on them how are they going to get out of it kind and, of and is it dark or is it quite like frothy even given the things that you've just it's explained frothy. Other yeah okay i get it's not like it's not super dark it's kind is this of this a stars series i have a feeling it might be it's the network a... the network who put it on originally oh some it's i think it's a netflix original oh is it okay i'm pretty sure i might it's I pretty good though i definitely i would recommend that over carnival row because i think carnival row is a bit more specific for certain like fans of yeah fans yeah of i think anyone about. would enjoy good guns yeah i mean to hell with it let's just talk about more tv uh this, i love tv we do watch an awful lot of tv to be fair and we're not going to apologize for it now no. uh, we got free reign to do this credit section so yeah wanted to recommend uh, treasure island with bear grills not even joking we've watched all of the series of uh, what was it called before the island no yeah the island the Island with Bear Grylls? The Island with Bear Grylls, I think so. Uh, but in this one, ooh, twisty. Ooh. Not only are some normal folks from a, you know, a cross-section of society going to be cast away on an island for what is now, I think, five weeks. I think it scaled down from the beginnings. Yeah. Uh, five weeks, and they've got to like, you know, scavenge for food and that. But now... A twistaroo. There's a little twistaroo, which is uh, they've parachute-dropped in uh, boxes full of money to different parts of the island, and it's going to go all battle royale, because everybody is like, can go every man slash woman for themselves or they can decide to team up get the money and sort of split the money as soon as they find it and even in episode one which is the only one that's gone to, to air at this point when we're recording uh two men have gone a little bit rogue and a little bit behind people's backs and it's quite intriguing so like you know what you get you'll get bear grills saying sort of really obvious stuff they have a drug in water they're putting me quite thirsty now yeah yeah oh. yeah and like <laughs> overstating the threats immediately like if they don't eat soon <laughs> yeah they, they're, they're gonna trouble extreme Extreme starvation, I think he said at one point. I think starvation is starvation, is it not? But uh, yeah, you know, Gr Grills is just picking up a check. But like the actual show is is pretty compelling. And then the other one that yeah. we're big fans of. Well, you're you're the bigger fan. I was. I got you on board. Yeah, I got you I mean, on board. I get hooked on everything. Currently, uh, oh, what are your boys called? Krypton. Krypton. Well, Krypton Conan. To uh, we watched some videos the other day. To like UK. Uh, rappers like grime stars rappers have got a show called the rap game uk it is basically bake-off for rappers yes it is essentially that so you know that's got to get you hooked in already they get this group of ragtag uh, rappers of sort like some of them are experienced some of them are clearly talented some of them much less so cheered pain uh and each each week they have to do or each couple of days i guess but each episode they have to do different styles of rap so like they'll do one which is a, a confrontational like rap battle but then the next one they'll do is like pen bars that are about their loved ones and the stuff they've been through in the case of some of them it seems less authentic than others um yeah it's, oh, it's good stuff it's good stuff it's on what channel four i thought it was on bbc oh bbc you know you're right yeah bbc iplayer iplayer yeah two 
I don't know. This is our favourite. It's available on iPlayer, <laughs> kids. It's available on the internet and that. Uh, yeah, so Treasure Island with Bear Grylls and The Rap Game UK, along with Carnival Row and Good Girls, are all good things to watch on television, I would say. And maybe we'll start a spin-off TV podcast at some point so that Paul doesn't have to be weighed down by all this chit-chat. But uh, this has been quite good, hasn't it? I think I do okay. Apologies if it sounded terrible. No, I think it sounded great. I think, uh, you know, had a good time. There's, you know, I would say slight frisson of uh, greater sort of romance and attraction between you and I than even between Paul and I. So that's... Um, oh, that is. Thank goodness for that. I that's mean. quite something. And hopefully that came across <laughs> in this lovely episode. But yeah, we will be back, most likely myself and Mr. Paul Anderson, next week with your regular Strangeliness in Cinema podcast. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this one. We are, of course, contactable through the socials um, at Strangers Cinema is the Twitter handle, that one growing and growing. We've got an Instagram, we've got a Facebook, obviously. And if you want to get in touch by email, there's a strangersinnercinema at gmail.com for that. Uh, otherwise, download the show, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. We appreciate the support. And until next time, see ya. Bye. Shut up and sit down.